Hi, this is Randall Dobbins with Business Partner Blueprint, where we provide strategic alliance training to help you quickly grow your business. And I'm welcoming you back to another episode of the Blueprint Pros Podcast, where we discuss how to land big corporate clients. And today, I'm so wonderful, I can't stand myself. I, I want to talk to you a little bit about something that was... It's actually been on my mind for a number of different episodes, but I want to talk to you about it in regards to a survey, a good article that I read here recently. And uh, I'll start off with a story where uh, if, if any of you have gone to or if you specifically have, have gone to college or got higher education and and the story is true, whether you went to college or not, but we used to tell this joke. The, the joke starts off with or 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 not not so much a joke as it is a story or analogy. You, you get your bachelor's degree and you graduate thinking that you, you know all there is to know. And so you feel you know really, really equipped to go out and do a whole host of things. And then if you decide to, to go for that next degree, uh, in a lot of cases, it's considered a master's degree. You have your bachelor's degree, your master's degree, and your 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 doctorate. If you go for your master's degree, you discover rather quickly that you don't know as much as you thought you did. <laughs> Very quickly. It's like, wait a minute, hold on. Why did I go through this whole effort of getting the master's to make me feel like I'm equipped to go do pretty much any and everything? And then I get my master's like, well, hold on, slow your roll, slow down. No, you don't know as much as you thought you did. And of course, here in the U.S., the next degree, your doctorate or your Ph.D., your doctorate in philosophy, or as we oftentimes colloquially refer to it as piled higher and deeper, <laughs> is when you discover you know nothing. The higher degree, the more obvious it is how little you really know. But the cool thing about the Ph.D. is that you at least have a structured process for how to go about and and figure out how to get the answer. That's kind of a cool thing, right? So this kind of brings me to an article that I was reading. It's uh, It was published on the 4th of March, 2019, written by Daniel Priestley, where he talks about the entrepreneur journey. And he talks about the nine stages of, uh, of business growth. And so gra grab a pencil. We're, we're going to go a little long today because he brought out some amazing things. Uh, D Daniel runs a business out of the UK, helping companies grow, so forth and so on. He's got locations in Singapore, the US, UK, Australia. Uh, pretty, pretty good operation going there. But uh, he did a survey of some 6,000 entrepreneurs, and he discovered uh, quite a bit of commonalities. Uh, and, and so... Basically, he starts off with this concept that, you know, you've been in business for a while, so you know this. This is going to validate quite a bit of what you know. But he said, you know, the beginning in the startup phase or at the very beginning, it's clearly hard and, and unrewarding. All of us have stories around sacrifices and struggles when we first started. For if you were one of those few that got started and it's been a bed of roses from the very beginning, call me. I want to know what you did. <laughs> But for the vast majority of us, you know, this is, uh, I guess we, we have another phrase where in, in the U.S. where it's, you know, separating the wheat from the chaff, meaning you, you, you go through 
and you figure out who's really serious about getting the work versus the pretenders or the folks that talk about being serious about having their own business. So you separate out the cream of the crop or the wheat from the chaff or those who are committed and prepared to do what it takes versus those who really just aren't in it for the long term to to do exactly what it takes to to be successful at you know just having your own business and so as he goes through it and i and i'm going to walk through these to kind of give you a sense of why this is significant because it may explain some of the challenges that you are having in your business right now depending on which stage you're in and one of the accelerators that you really can can put in place as we speak to help you get through your current stage. So he talks about the startup phase, and most of us have been there where the business is basically a concept. We, we, we may or may not have put a business plan together, but we're confident that rather than just thinking about it, it's time to put that thought into action and get going with something. So we have our startup phase. And in this case, you know, we, we, we're excited to, to get it going. We have some, some anticipation. We have some trepidation. We have some concerns, but it's like, you know, we, we're, we're going to do this. Interestingly enough, in the U.S., what, 90% of most small businesses fail in the first five years? And there's a whole host of reasons for that. Uh, we're going to talk through them as, as, as laid out in this survey when you start thinking about some of the challenges that happen during the first five years of a business, primarily centering around growth. So the second, the, the second stage that the survey talks about is the wilderness phase, which has one to two founders and it's kind of interesting because uh, the survey talks about it being a survival mode and the founders are working alone. There's no team. And of course, um, you know, you're left with very little spare time, money or freedom. You know, a lot of divorces and our relationships go through companies going through the wilderness phase. And, you know, in this case, there's no real limit to how long the wilderness phase can continue. And you can kind of put this in monetary terms if you say theoretically that you can usually expect somewhere between um, uh, 150,000 per employee uh, so one to two you probably have a business that's somewhere probably under 300,000 300,000 US dollars per year 500,000 US dollars per year I do know people who are they're, they're one person companies with multi-million dollar revenues uh, they have tremendous systems and processes in, in place. They actually have extended teams, so they hadn't had to hire people, but they've they've contracted out key services and things. But clearly, that's that's one of those. Those are more exceptions than they are the rules. It can be done. That is worthwhile. It just depends on what exactly you're selling and what exactly is your business model. I mean, if you've got a highly scalable platform, you can pull that off. But for the vast majority of companies, if you have one to two people working in the company, in this case, considered founders, you have no team, then you've got some serious challenges and struggles. You're trying to keep the doors open. You're trying to make sure this, this thing's going to work. This concept's going to move forward. The third step, struggling boutique, as it's called, usually has between three to 12 people. Uh, the business is able to, to meet payroll, but it's not that profitable. So, you, you, you know, you find you're always cash strapped. You're, you're watching your cash flow statement to make sure you've got money to fund 
you know, getting these people paid and having hopefully a little left over. And you're still trying to figure out how you actually invest for the future, because, you know, you got to get past this hump in order to, quote unquote, uh, start making some real money. I mean, in this case, you could still be with three to 12 people at uh, a million, two million. But it's like, on the one hand, you're feeling great because you're making a million to two million. But on the other hand, you're like, oh, my goodness, um, it's 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 a it's, it's, it's a struggle. And so that gets you to the stage four business, what's called a lifestyle boutique business, which is about three to 12 people. And interestingly enough, you're getting to a good size right there. Some some folks plateau at this level. They're probably not really going after big corporate contracts, or if they do, they're cherry picking the contracts. Probably uh, a consultancy. They've got pretty good margins. They got a good, strong, robust team of folks, and it creates a nice, comfortable lifestyle. Uh, the business typically looks much bigger than it is. And one of the problems that you run into in this case is these are often uh, personality brand businesses. So it's a function of who the person is that's leading the business that has that confidence, uh, you know, boutique or niche businesses. And it's a good business. You can do extremely well if you are talking about building a business where you have a, a good retirement and uh, somebody can either buy you out or, you know, you can say you had a good run in case it's not necessarily a legacy business because it's tied to you. The big issue you have in uh, this number four lifestyle boutique business is that, and you may want to write this down, is that when it comes to selling the business, you're going to take a pretty substantial discount uh, if you are no longer a part of the business. If you're thinking you're going to retire and walk away from it, you know, you're going to sell it, walk away from it, retire, go off and do other things. There's a good chance that you're going to have to take a discount on your sales price because a good portion of your revenue is probably tied to you as the brand, as the person. So just just be aware of that that uh, that's going to be a major consideration. And then uh, the, the survey goes on to identify the fifth phase, what's called the desert. And uh, that's about 13 to 40 people. In which case you start getting into some of the bigger issues around systems and processes and repeatability and continuous improvement and growth and whatnot. Uh, you, you're you're going to start hitting a straining point rather quickly as you lead into the sixth phase what's called the factory with 40 or more people and in this case you 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 might actually be bringing on staff but you might not necessarily be improving your revenue per person a lot of times you just need the additional people to get things done it it means uh you're potentially have you know have less overtime or you're creating some operating capacity to handle some lingering projects or to begin to maneuver. And when you have all your brainstorming activities and your problem resolution issues and you start thinking through, you know, who's going to do this that, and the other, whatnot, you've now created some capacity. And then, of course, the seventh the uh, is called performance, which is between 40 to 150 people 
where you, you actually start uh, having a pretty good company right now. A lot of companies, if you don't go into the really, really big companies, they found that between 40 to 150 people uh, gives you pretty decent maneuvering room. And if you are strategically smart, you can actually operate a, a 40 to 150 person business comfortably for a good period of time. You, you, you may have uh, staked out your, your territory right there. And the big thing there is agility, as we like to talk about. It's as the market changes, can you can you maneuver there? Uh, a lot of cases with uh, with this one, you're you're small enough that nobody's messing with you, and you're big enough that you can handle a couple of missteps or downturns in the market or or other kinds of things. So that's actually kind of a sweet spot. If you're not really and truly looking to to make a bigger impact whatsoever. And then the next phase, uh, phase eight, the unicorn phase, uh, the article uh, really, really likes the unicorn phase because uh, it, it talks about these are businesses that are hard for other people to come out and uh, try and do the same thing. Uh, a lot of people will try it because you're you're probably getting a lot of press. People have heard about you. They're going, you know, what are they doing over there? Oh, I can do that. I can do that. I can do that. They may not have discovered your secret sauce and so forth and so on. But you are now beginning to get on the radar for a number of folks at the unicorn phase. And of course, the last phase, the corporation, 250 plus employees. And um, it's kind of interesting. We've talked about this, what, in many prior episodes where... When we start talking about this as your target market, and we've been talking about Fortune 500, so you're talking about 100,000 employees plus, 50,000 employees plus. We're well beyond the 250 that this survey discusses. But we're talking about, historically, those companies enjoyed a pretty good position that they were big enough to almost be failure-proof. They had to be really stupid, and I use that word intentionally, or they had to have made major blunders in order to lose their positioning my goodness um ibm and xerox were outfoxed by microsoft and apple yet they are still around xerox is still around uh, ibm is still around their business is going into a different direction than it did with copiers and computers but they were big enough that they could figure out what they wanted to do next uh, we're seeing that with a lot of companies today where whatever it was they used to do is not what they're doing now because they didn't respond to the market quickly enough to to maintain dominance in an area they were once strong in. Um, Amazon is causing wreaking havoc with folks like uh, uh, with other retailers in the U.S., companies like Sears and uh, and others just wreaking havoc on those as we speak. But, you know, Sears is big enough to, you know, hopefully through this current bankruptcy, they'll figure out what needs to happen. And then, of course, you know, more recently, what we've seen with the big boys is that they've had to start thinking entrepreneurial. They've had to start thinking through their business exactly the way we're discussing right now in terms of these nine stages, because to the extent that you get to stage nine or seven, eight and nine, and you feel like things aren't working, then you revert back to some of the behaviors 
that you had as a, a stage one, two, three, four, five company, hoping that that will give you the competitive advantage that you're looking for. Now, this is kind of interesting. I want you to take a couple of things away from what we've talked about in this regard. Number one, as you think through where your business, uh, which stage your business currently might, uh, might reside, how do you get to the next stage? If you are not in that stage where you're, you're, you're comfortable and you're pretty well positioned, you're in that stage where you need to get to the next level, or uh, you've decided that being comfortable doesn't really satisfy all your objectives because you built a business that you want to make a greater impact. So you need to keep pushing so that you can make a greater impact in the world. Then you're, you're, you're going to have the same issues that we've talked about on a continual basis, which is your fastest way to grow your business is the effective use of strategic partners. We've talked about it consistently. You need some fantastic strategic alliances that allows you to invest in what you do best and have reliable, capable, high-performing partners that can do everything else that needs to be done in order for you to bring your solution to market. The big mistake that is often made in all nine stages is the concept of going it alone, what we call the lone wolf syndrome, when you feel like uh, you, you know you're the only person that can do what you're doing, and it's like you might be the the issue there is that you hadn't really dissected everything you do and figured out what 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 one portion of that is the part that you need to work on that is your secret sauce and then what other portions of it can you have someone else do and you can then scale your business you can reach more people you can drive more revenues you can build out that that greater vision and go from there so that portion of it is 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 huge and then of course you know you've heard me say it when it came to the big boys where they now are going back to this strategy they are divesting of what they call non-core businesses and they're getting back to doing that one thing that they do extremely well and they're finding partners to do the other things and in this case i don't really care which of the nine stages of business you're in you you've heard me say it time in and time again that uh, you're either growing or dying if you're not growing you're stagnant if you're stagnant you're being left behind from the competition if you're being left behind it's definitional you're dying so you're either growing or dying pick one and so finding the right partners really and truly uh, help you to uh, actually accelerate your business growth period Clearly, there are some things you can do internally, but having a business partner blueprint is probably one of the best strategic things you can do for the uh, life and um, future of your business. So I wanted to walk you through that. Uh, I, I, I like this survey because it's like it didn't matter which of the nine stages of business that you might be in. 
you are still confronted with a lot of the same challenges, which is what do I do with my business next? How do I continue to put something out in the marketplace that people are going to respond to? How do I keep pushing the organization to make a greater and greater and greater impact? Because at some point you've proven you can make the impact. You just want to make a greater impact, make more of it with more people. That's that's normal. That's a good thing. If the market is responding to you and saying we like what you do, then you want to expand the market. If you don't, you, you you either have to bring new things to the market that people like or you run the risk that somebody's going to replace you. It, it's, it's really just that simple. That's just the nature of business. But that's a cool thing. That's what keeps it exciting. So it, it doesn't matter which one of these stages. Your ability to have some fantastic partners that you can strategically align with to uh, help you bring your solution to market and grow your enterprise even faster is the single greatest tool you can have in your business growth and business survival toolkit. So I want to challenge you. You now have access to getting your PhD as we speak. You can avoid the master's, you can avoid the bachelor's degree and doesn't matter what stage your business is in, stage one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Get the PhD right now and avoid some of the headaches. Picking the right partners now is going to be the best thing you can do for the growth of your business. So that's that's what I had for you today. Uh, I'd love to get some feedback from you. If you uh, get a moment, please go to www.blueprintpros.com and get on our mailing list. Stay up to date on new episodes and other exciting news or just uh, go to blueprintpros.com and leave me a message. I'd love to hear from you. Let me know what you think and uh, let me know if there are other topics you want me to cover. I just might feature your comment in one of our upcoming episodes. And by all means, please share our podcast with your friends, your business uh, colleagues, and others. We're trying to get the word out there that, you know, this 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 is doable. This is the good stuff. This is when you actually feel like you're making a difference in the world, taking control of everything that's going on around you and have a lot more say-so and how things move forward in your life. So this is Randall Dobbins, Business Partner Blueprint, signing off. Have a fantastic day. See you on the other side.